This episode of The Clear Out was recorded on the 3rd of October 2023 at home in Wicklow. It's October, just like that. Happy October, listener. In this week's episode, I jump around a few different things, but representation is a theme. Uh, Representation, who is represented what is represented, what issues are represented. And that comes in my head after listening to an episode of a really interesting podcast that I sometimes check out um, on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. Um, And it raises questions for me about the motives of politicians. Um, And it also leads me to ask the question, or maybe to answer the question, what is the whitest film ever made? (laughs) So, um, yeah, that's there. And then I finish up with a little, it hasn't happened yet, but it's a proposal. It's a proposal of a new little um, expression of of something I'm interested in, Um, maybe a little offshoot of the, the 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 podcast something to do with men are you a man are you a, a real man maybe it's time for you to man up as uh, i heard an old friend of mine say very recently about a man that she knows time to man up what does that even mean i don't answer that question today that's another that'll take another episode okay so there you go that's what's coming up i hope you can find time to listen uh thank you for being here if you're here already you have to be here already if you're listening to this (laughs) go on i'll see you around the corner cheers not gonna change my mind leaving the dream behind hi my name is dara clear and you're listening to the clear out you're very welcome Thank you so much for pressing play. Thanks for choosing this particular podcast over the many others you could have chosen. If you are a return listener, so good. So good to have you here again. (laughs) And if it's your first time, you're welcome. You're welcome. And what you're stepping into here is an ongoing exploration of personal coping, resilience, the embrace of vulnerability, um, a general leaning towards wellness and a wellness that I like to to ground or, or foreground in reality, authenticity um, and a little bit of calling BS on a lot of the performative curated wellness that is put out there in the world that uh, I'm deeply cynical about and the clear out is my my offering of an of an antidote um but it's not a cynical podcast it's not skeptical it tries to stay in a place of curiosity and openness and yes Mostly, it's my own perspectives, my own reflections, my own reactions to things. 
um, and I bring my own backgrounds into play and my backgrounds are acting and education and martial arts so they're primarily where I've spent most of my time um, but I've always remained in this area of on my kind of on my personal journey an area of nurturing or exploring the mind body spirit unity um and trying to to give love to the areas of my myself my, my my psyche my internal landscape to give love to the areas that need it to give nurturing and nourishment um and that's what i advocate generally for all people to be patient with ourselves to be tolerant of our failings to be encouraging and supportive of the little embers of possibility and hope and positivity and personal ambition or aspiration um, and largely to be kind to ourselves as the starting point to help us um, to help us encourage our own empathy to others and to remain open to conversations and different points of view um so yeah so i don't always i don't always do this i don't always summarize the raison d'etre of the podcast um but i have done a little bit lately often that's just for myself as well <laughs> not just not just for you the listener the listeners um but it's helpful i think if it's your first time visiting it's helpful to to hear that now that said today i'm not i'm not entirely sure where i want to go with today's episode um there's always a few different things rolling around my head a few different marbles in the can um i just finished listening to an hour i haven't finished it but i finished an hour of um, a recent episode of the uh, higher learning podcast in which van lathan jr and rachel lynn Lindsay, the co-hosts uh their podcast is you know, fundamentally about um you know black america pop culture politics social issues um black pride black history whatever it's all in there uh, i find it really interesting i don't listen to it all the time but i always enjoy it when i do and they one of their recent episodes they interviewed a republican uh politician named larry elder uh, he's republican conservative and he's also black and he he is sort of ideologically in a very different corner to the hosts of higher learning who like to interrogate and legislate you know the history of black america the, the current state of black america issues related to are indicative of systemic racism um and the i always find they they engage with those topics and those issues with great kind of honesty and transparency uh and they bring passion and intelligence and their own backstories um and I find it, yeah, I just find it interesting, stimulating, educational. Uh, I really like what they do there. Um, but man, this episode 
holy hell that politician i'd never heard of him before <laughs> you're just going politicians are just they're just they're just so so slippery and arrogant and dishonest uh, and disingenuous and just maddening maddening so frustrating um and I, I can feel that the episode is building towards something uh, explosive in terms of the interaction between the hosts and the guest. Um, but my goodness, I'm just listening to this guy going, what do you represent really? Like what's what's the game here? What, you know, what are you trying to achieve? And, and again, I come away with the conviction I often have about politicians is it's just their own personal ambition. It's not really about representation at all. Because when you hear them speak, you're kind of going, no, I'm just, I'm just not getting, I'm not getting a sense of genuine care, genuine vocation. Um, I just hear someone who's pathologically ambitious and bullheaded um, and almost sociopathic. Uh, because there's such such a lack of interest in listening there's such a lack of interest in having a true exchange um but yeah it, i mean you know if you have any interest in american politics in representation in in black america um I mean, it's it's well worth listening. So yeah, once again, the name of the podcast is Higher Learning. And um, yeah, that recent episode, uh, the interview with Larry Elder, I'm sure you'll find it very easily. So I've kind of come away from that just feeling a bit like, <laughs> like you, just, you know, you're listening to people argue or have a discussion and you can just feel one person just isn't playing. They haven't come to play fair. They haven't come to really have a true back and forth. And I just found myself getting so frustrated uh, listening to it, uh, frustrated for the hosts, frustrated with uh, Larry Elder's whole kind of vibe, which is quite combative um, and belligerent. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, anyway. Um, now I suppose if I'm talking about that one thing I could talk about um, and this will take me to the world of of movies um, and you know this is you know this is you know it, it's very relevant to the, the conversation I was just listening to because it is about sort of black representation and black visibility and black social mobility um and again like the hosts would be of the opinion that you know black people in america are still massively proportionately speaking disadvantaged compared to their white counterparts and that is because of you know historic um historical wrongs and injustices and manipulations and thefts um as well as out and out racial terrorism um i mean i've never 
I've never felt suspicious of that truth. I've never disbelieved it. It's always felt entirely plausible to me, observing from afar. Um, and I think, you know, in general, if you're talking about any form of discrimination, um, any form of discrimination being disputed or reframed or narrativized by by the power holders um are people who have thrown in their lot with you know institutional traditional institutional power and traditional power holders whether that's in you know in government uh, or in in finance uh you know finance business if it's in education if it's in housing um you know movies in 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 you know in entertainment um it's a dynamic you can't trust power holders want to hold on to power i think that's you know it's 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 human nature um nobody wants to go backwards nobody wants to step down the ladder um and you know that's that's relevant for all of us you know, it, it doesn't have to be into the, the, the political or sociological sphere. Just in our own lives, we don't like to step backwards. We don't like to go back down the ladder. We like to maintain our improved status and usually have a sense of wanting it to improve further, um, you know, to one degree or another. I mean, everyone has to decide how much they, they feel is truly enough what they believe is truly the place of now I don't have to worry about this anymore. I've probably never had that <laughs> in my life. And this is probably the first time in my life I'm truly like, hmm, I don't know if this is sustainable. <laughs> and my wife was just sort of folding her arms and nodding her head slowly, silently going, mm-hmm, that's right. That's right. Um, but the if I focus just on one aspect, one aspect of this, um, and we talk about how movies in particular can be a mirror to what people believe to be true. Um, movies can be a mirror, certainly can be, uh, there can be an indication of what, studios believed people wanted to see um and the you know one one strain of movies would be you know we want people to feel good about themselves we want to give them something that makes them feel you know positive about where they're at and reflect a current mood you know sometimes it's the opposite it's meant to tap into anxieties um i mean you think of so many of the movies that came out post Vietnam um, and post sort of the sort of uh, you know the, the era of social revolution in the states um, and post Watergate and how the, like the cynicism of those times started to be reflected in movies sometimes very literally with political thrillers um, but often in movies that were incredibly nihilistic and violent and brutal and i'm not talking specifically about vietnam movies i mean i referred a few episodes back to that fantastic 
uh, podcast on the uh, the Rainer Network, which was part of the the big picture. Is the actual podcast, and it was a series they did called um, was it called Do We Get to Win This Time, which is basically a history of Vietnam as interpreted through American movies. It was really really fascinating and. Again, I recommend you go and listen to that. If you have any interest in that period of American history, and if you like movies, it's an absolute winner. Um, but yeah, so you know, so to to an extent, uh, movies always they're they're always a kind of a reflection of current tastes, current interests, current truths. But historically, of course, they can be a reflection of omission. They can be. Uh, a great example of who are we not looking at who is not being seen and whose story is not being told um so if i bounce that idea off what i was just talking about before with the the, the subject matter of that higher learning uh, podcast and that episode in particular the movie i'd like to talk about is the big chill and um, The Big Chill is a 1983 American movie directed by Lawrence Kasdan. Um, and it was, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's considered the movie of a generation, uh, which would be my parents' generation. Um, and coincidentally, I watched The Big Chill about a year ago. I'm not sure why it came into my head then, but I rewatched it. Um, and there was a slight difference in how I viewed it. Like when I, when I watched it last year, I, um, I just had a different viewing experience and I watched it again last week because the, the movie podcast, I like to listen to the rewatchables. They did an episode on it and it made me want to revisit it. And, you know, they spoke in a very absolute way that, you know, about it being this, you know, movie of a generation. Um, and I, I mean, I, I was just on that point alone. I was thinking, well, yeah, maybe, a generation of you know white Americans. Um, I don't think it was massively resonant to uh, people in Ireland at that time. Um, in 1983, it was a very poor time. There was a recession. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, not the most joyous time in Irish history. And I certainly don't think it was the the movie of a generation for Black Americans. And and that was really. When I watched it last year, that's what struck me most was, wow, is this one of the whitest films ever made? <laughs> because, yeah, it, it, it's like basically, okay, so the, the Big Chill, if you're not familiar with the movie, it's the story of a group of friends gathering to spend the weekend together after one of their dear friends has killed himself and it featured a sort of a, a who's who of great American film acting talent in the sort of early years of their careers um, but some of them yeah really in the sweet spot of their young careers and so you have on the female side of the cast you had uh, Glenn Close and Joe Beth Williams Mary Kay Place and Meg Tilly and on the male side, you had Kevin Klein, William Hurt, Tom Berenger, and Jeff Goldblum. Um, and the friend who died uh, was 
played by Kevin Costner. And they had they shot they shot scenes with Kevin Costner, but ultimately uh, Lawrence Kasdan decided not to use them because it just didn't it actually didn't add to the the balance of the story. Um, and I'm not sure if they actually used. I mean, what I remember reading as a teenager that the you know Kevin Costner's body was used as the you know the corpse, um, who we see you know the, the, which we see being prepared for the funeral in the opening credits. Um, and so it's this sort of quite, I mean, I won't say like a gentle movie, um, and a very, a very normal movie in terms of what it's depicting is normal interaction. So a sort of a, a gentle drama of, of friends spending time together and, sort of checking in with themselves, with each other, um, and by virtue of this opportunity to come together, doing a sort of stock take of where they are in their lives and what it all means. Um, and as I say, what struck me when I watched it last year, more than anything, what struck me was like, wow, it's just it's just white. It's like these are the, the whitest, whitest... <laughs> representatives of the American experience that you could get. Um, I mean, arguably, Jeff Goldblum aside, who, you know, compared to the others, looks, you know, subtly ethnic, um, <laughs> if that's not an inappropriate way to put it. But um, the movie was also, it was also famous for its soundtrack, which just featured, you know, a string of uh, soul and Motown classics, um, you know, you know Marvin Gray, Marvin Gray, Marvin Gray. Yeah, he's, he's a bit dull. Marvin Gay, uh, <laughs> Marvin Gay, and Smokey Robinson, Martha and the Vandellas, maybe, um, and most memorably to me, when I first saw The Big Chill as a kid, uh, Aretha Franklin's Natural Woman. Um, but you know, just great, great songs. Um, yeah, like it's, it's, it's kind of, it's almost you can't believe. Oh my god, another absolute banger! Um, but yeah, again, catching all these actors in a real sweet spot in their kind of young adult prime. Everyone looking really good. Um, Tom Berenger in an eight typically uh, light, almost comic role and very, very charming with it. I mean, I, I feel like most of his career, he's played, most of his career, he's played tough guys, maybe most notoriously in Oliver Stone's Platoon as a very nasty piece of work, Sergeant, who's one of the sort of proxy fathers that Charlie Sheen's character um, swings between between him and Willem Dafoe who has such a, a tragic end in that movie one of the most memorable scenes of any war movie of all time but um, yeah Tom Berenger Kevin Klein just doing that real easy touch Kevin Klein stuff that he does just an assured performer little bit little bit cheesy in places little bit cringy bit hammy um 
William Hurt just on this amazing start to his career with one great performance after another um, and there wasn't really anybody like him um, just a very I mean, I mean I, get, I paid tribute to William Hurt last year after he died but just this really interesting actor just his sort of cerebral nature his his softness um his yeah like a, a kind of an emotional softness that he projected but also sort of bristling as well with um that kind of coldness that comes from being very intelligent um and maybe being a few steps ahead of everybody else and i think that was that was his secret sauce um and he did very well um you know particularly in that run through the early to you know late 80s um and then jeff goldblum and you realize watching jeff goldblum in one of his relatively early appearances just how distinctive the jeff goldblum thing is and was and has always been you know his quirkiness his um his unflappability his charm his intelligence um his height <laughs> um he's, he's just a great he's a great presence um and again a kind of a an overconfidence or or an arrogance that he sort of gets away with because he's kind of such a charming performer um my daughter and i watched him just recently in um thor ragnarok uh <laughs> one of the one of the marvel superhero movies one of the better ones directed by taika waititi very funny and jeff goblin is in that being very funny um but yeah in 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 any case i mean my own my own memory i didn't see it when it came out because i was i would have been nine in 1983 but i i was aware of it probably a few years later i had a i had a, I had a book of i think it was called movie was it movie lovers and i'm pretty sure that was the book it had all these black and white stills from lots of movies of different um love scenes or lovers from movies um and not just american movies international and there were some great great photos in it and i'm sure there was one in that from the big chill because there are romances happening between the, the friends um and so I, I was aware of it and I, I could see i knew the talent that was in it and you know it would have been on my list yeah i'll be watching that at some point um and then in 1989 an old american friend of my parents came to visit and spent a little a little bit of time with us one summer and he brought his i can't remember if she was already in university or you know just finishing high school one of his daughters and she had the soundtrack to the big chill with her and so i had the image in my mind from the book and then i heard the soundtrack and i was like oh my god these songs are just extraordinary i absolutely you know loved them and you know that was it like i was like i've got to, you know i love the music that was going to be its own separate relationship um and you know stayed with me stayed with me over the years my affection for that music 
and you know just a, just a kind of a confirmation to me that okay this 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 movie has something special going on um and i eventually got to see it whatever a couple of years later um and just thought yeah this is great and was watching it with probably quite a non-critical eye um and just thought this is this is just wonderful to see all these great actors and actresses doing their stuff um but yeah as i say last year when i watched it the the unspoken politics of it the unspoken representation issue of it was what struck me now it didn't it didn't really detract from my enjoyment that much but it was like oh yeah wow this is there are no black faces in this movie um and it's an incredibly like there's a, there's an atmosphere of of great sort of self assurance in the movie like not just in the the telling of the story but the the kind of energy of the characters is like this is all exactly as it should be um and as was pointed out on the rewatchables podcast episode you know they're all very successful they're all doing very well with the exception maybe of of William Hurt's character um but they're all yeah successful lawyer doctor um you know journalist writer whatever tv actor um and they're all sort of enjoying their their piece of the pie and you know living the um the american dream so um th- th- that is what kind of stayed with me last year when i watched it an almost almost an air of blithe self-satisfaction like it's all good we're great now you know it is, it is something that is overtly addressed in different places in the movie uh, particularly from William Hurt's character who kind of say we never you know our generation we've never no one's ever had it as easy as us um, but um, again if you're I guess if you were a black person at that time I don't know how much you would have been loving that movie you're like okay where are the where are the successful black people um where are the black faces where are the black actors uh who am i looking at um should i you know if, if i'm a a young black person should i aspire to be like william hurt or kevin klein or tom berenger i don't know i don't know what that relationship is i'm not i'm not informed but it, I'm sure this movie is most popular with white Americans of a particular age. Um, and then people like me. <laughs> but that's okay. I'm just a film fan. Um, but yeah, this time when I watched it last week, I just enjoyed the acting. I just enjoyed the acting. I just enjoyed the ensemble playing and the the warmth of the cast and the, you know, the warmth between the you know between the actors and the sort of effortless and very naturalistic chemistry um there um and again again from the rewatchables podcast they were talking about the rehearsal process like so all the actors you know spent a week or two together before they started shooting and really kind of i guess developed 
developed that rapport and that chemistry and you know that's what comes off the screen um as well as yeah just kind of you know good writing um and good storytelling but it it you know it raises it it does raise the question for me okay so i'm going to i'm not going to stay on the, the kind of the specific political kind of question of it or the you know social cultural implications of it um you know Lawrence Kasdan he you know he's directed he directed other movies and I mean, if we're talking about representation, you know, Danny Glover featured prominently in a couple of his movies, uh, Grand Canyon, which I don't think has aged particularly well. Um, and then the sort of light Western, um, a great Western, very entertaining, but again, slightly, you know, comic campy elements to it at times, uh, Silverado. And Danny Glover plays a great character in that. Uh, black cowboy of great kind of integrity who befriends uh, or is befriended by Scott Glenn's kind of protagonist and they're you know they're the good guys and Kevin Costner was rewarded uh, with a great role great early role in that movie after being cut from the big chill um, where he just brings something irrepressible and uh and goofy and hyper confident um to the role and you, you kind of forget oh yeah kevin costner was that before you know before he became what he became which was much less interesting um so yeah so just you know it's not like Lawrence kasdan was i don't ever want to have black actors in my movies i don't think that's the issue at all but um, it does, you know, it, 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 it made me think in a more general sense and it makes me think in a more general sense about the whole idea of representation. And um, funnily enough, another, another, you know, another example of this comes to mind and it is movie related again. Before I, I got, before I jump into the more general point, I just had a flash of one of my my good friends, uh, Harry Ian. If you're if you're if you're listening, Ian um, is an old university friend of mine, and he's embarking on a five day cycle this week. Just started today, the day of recording, and he's cycling down the uh, the northwest coast of Ireland. Um, a stage a day for each decade of his life because Ian's about to turn 50 <laughs> but years ago Ian was involved in a you know a bit of youth work through I think a connection the connection was one of his aunts and he was watching an Irish film that has actually aged quite well called Into the West which is um, sort of a kind of a road movie featuring two young brothers who happen to be members of the the traveling community um so um for non-irish listeners the tra- you know traveling community also known as travelers also known i think in irish as naminkeri are i mean for want of another word and the easiest kind of comparison if you want to think of them as gypsies that might be the easiest thing 
And speaking of a, a class of people or a group of people um, in, in Ireland who have been routinely discriminated against, um, I don't know about systemically, but certainly culturally um, in the, the history of modern Ireland, um, you know, travellers are, I think, discriminated against and continue to be so. And they're, just, it's, they're still a bit of a taboo subject in Irish society. Um Again, and I, may, I think I may have mentioned this before. I mean, my mother, when at the start of her teaching career, taught traveller kids. So, in my own experience, I've I've never had anything other than you know a positive opinion of them. Um, and in my own interactions with them as a teacher, I always greatly enjoyed having them um, in my class, uh, as I would with you know any student really. Generally, you know, it's all open to whoever's there, but. Um, it's not a straightforward relationship. They don't occupy a straightforward position in Irish society because they have their own traditions and cultures, which means they're sort of moving on the outside of more traditional, conventional um, patterns of behaviour, I suppose. I mean, again, I'm not here to, to, to litigate uh, the travelling community. Um, but Into the West was a successful movie uh, Gabriel Byrne, Ellen Barkin, Colin Meaney, Brendan Gleeson um, were kind of probably the four main names in it. And the but it follows the journey of these two little kids who are kind of traveling um, across Ireland on a on a horse. Um, and at one point in the movie, do they get to watch a movie? And there's a line in the movie they're watching or it comes up somewhere I'm, I'm, I'm misremembering this I'm sure but someone on screen says God bless the travellers and my friend Ian was watching it and when that was said there was a little traveller boy beside him who just reached over and held Ian's hand and gave it a squeeze when God bless the travellers was said and I always thought it was a lovely story because there's something about the, the, the I think there's something particularly um, uh, particularly moving about a child's experience of seeing themselves on screen. Um, that speaks to me. Like, I just find that that resonates to me. Uh, and that's there's something very poignant and significant and, yeah, perhaps profound about that. Um, and I'm, 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 I really believe in that whole idea of, of moments. I believe in moments and I believe in gestures. And they can be life-changing experiences because they're, they're moments of, well, I believe that they're usually, um, they are usually instances of, of being seen or they're instances of arriving at a new place of understanding uh, for better or worse. Um, and moments and gestures, I mean, I, the way I said it there and that was my intention. I was thinking of positive moments and positive gestures, but of course the opposite can be just as true. Negative moments and negative gestures can be just as significant and just as impactful. But that story about Ian and the, the, the traveller kid reaching out and you know and, and giving his hand a squeeze when God bless the travellers was expressed on the screen. I, I always find it lovely and sweet and moving and it just popped it in my head there um just talking about that idea of of representation 
Um, and again, like just to spell it out, if, if you know, if, if if this isn't obvious to you or you haven't thought about it, um, just to lay out and just just to, to to step back into the you know the Black American experience again, um, or my commentary on it, um, that idea of representation is if you're a black person looking up at the screen, and in the majority of movies you know, what you're seeing is black people represented as as gangsters, um, as drug addicts, um, as sex workers, um, as, you know, disenfranchised or, you know, dumbed down or neutered or emasculated in the service of a white protagonist. Um that's then what you start to think is oh this is who we are because this is all i see and i'm not seeing other stories i'm not seeing you know heroic black protagonists um you know what what's the story here what you know what what am i meant to believe about myself what am i meant to believe about my community what am i meant to believe about what the color of my skin means um, the status it's afforded um, and I mean that would be the other typical representation in many movies of a certain period of time in Hollywood you know black people represented as, as slaves as victims um, as as entertainers um, so these very specifically allocated roles that are all about that's your place stay there that's your place um so again sorry i mean I'm, i know i'm kind of jumping back and forth i mean i'm only laying that out to, just in case that wasn't obvious to you already maybe it's not but um i bounce back then to now to the idea of representation in general and it doesn't have to be as literal as i want to see myself I want to hear stories about my experience um, or I don't see myself up there on the screen. I don't see myself in TV shows. Um, it might just be things that you're concerned about. It might be just things that you're interested in. It might just be things, if I say the word omission, if I say, you know, if I ask you the question, What's being omitted from the discourse? What's being omitted from the conversations that come before you again and again and again? I mean, that's that 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 that's going to lead you into this conversation about representation. Um, and there was one thing I saw last week. Um, I'm going to give a shout out to someone on social media uh, her name is lucy white and for, uh, from what I, I can gather from lucy's instagram feed is that she's a journalist uh, an occasional podcast reviewer um I'm not, I'm not sure quite how i came across lucy but she put something very interesting up on her instagram profile last week which was basically about six screenshots of newspaper articles and 
all of the articles were about something really bad that a man had done a man or a boy had done so different stories um you know violence um or some form of you know criminal behavior or violence against women or an act of vandalism and the uh, i can't remember exactly what lucy said it was yeah it wasn't i I didn't you know what she wrote I, i didn't find particularly provocative i didn't think she was trying to um you know take some very exaggerated reactive position um I mean, in a way, the screen grabs spoke for themselves. But I, I think her general thrust was, you know, men. <laughs> you know, men continue to be, you know, a problem. And these stories continue to trouble us and confront us. I mean, I don't disagree. I mean, those, 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 the stories, you know, that she chose to show on her Instagram page were yeah oh man and i i'd seen at least two or three of them and one of them was the the cutting down of the the sycamore tree on hadrian's wall uh, you know on the border between scotland and england last week um oh yeah i I, that yeah (laughs) you just go really lads what the hell are you doing really why 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 is it just a stunt i haven't gone back to to you know look into that story more but Famously, that tree was used in Kevin Costner's Robin Hood movie, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, um, from whenever year that was. The, the, the film that gave us the endless number one uh, from Brian Adams, <laughs> the name of which I'm going to forget now. Is it Everything I Do, I Do It For You? Is that it? Oh my goodness, I'm, I'm shameful. Anyway, um but the tree features in that movie prominently. Um, but yeah, it was chopped down last week by some teenager, apparently. I think there's another man implicated as well. But look, in any case, I'm, you know, my, I'm name-checking Lucy White not to um, direct any, you know, disapproval or anger or invite her to be, you know, targeted. I'm like, she's absolutely in her right to raise this question absolutely in her right to go what's the story lads um but something that i continue to be concerned about um i've no issue with calling out bad behavior in anybody but and and this isn't a solution this isn't a solution but something that i'm I continue to kind of be, I don't know, aware of or sensitive to is that we're not, we don't see, I feel like we don't see stories that celebrate the very everyday um, achievements of, of real men. And I'm deliberately using that word, real. Because the phrase, sorry, the phrase real man um, is a very loaded phrase. You know, what's a real man? And 
I think for many of us, the phrase instantly gets pushed into an area of very alpha male um, stereotypes, um, you know, macho, muscular, um, you know, high achieving in areas of, of, of physical prowess or, or combat or whatever it might be. Um, and I'm, I'm wary. I don't entirely trust that. I don't tr- trust that as a definition of what a real man is. Um, I'm, you know, I'd say who isn't a real man? <laughs> I mean, we're all real men. Us, you know, we men, <laughs> we're real men. And, you know, if someone's transitioned to being a man and they identify as a man and they look like a man um, and they want to pass as a man, I'm like, okay, you're a real man too. Why not? Because, you know, let's just get on with it. Um, and this idea, and, you know, and this is something we explored in the, 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 the show I was involved in earlier this year, Manifest, uh, the show I did with Broken Talkers as part of the larger community arts project, um, What Does He Need?, um, which is an explore, exploration of masculinity in in boys um, on their journey to manhood um, in in Ireland. Like the, it's, it's it's specifically there the Irish experience in different within different communities in Ireland. Um, and I'm again involved in a youth project exploring this work as part of the what does he need thing. So it's 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 very very much on my mind, um, but. Again, to, to return to the idea of like, you know, omission, I I want to see stories just about normal men doing, you know, normal men, real men, <laughs> real men just quietly going about their business, doing things that are family-based, community-based, uh, standing by their partners, their wives, their husbands, whatever it might be, you know, raising their kids, working their jobs, and are not, um, are not, you know, can't be thrown into this frame of toxic masculinity, can't be thrown into this frame of, you know, misogynistic, abusive, violent behavior, um, who are quietly anonymously going about their business and you know hitting their marks on a on a daily basis um because i do think that is a narrative i do think that that is a narrative and i think it's a narrative that isn't celebrated that isn't really spoken about that isn't celebrated fetishized valorized um and it doesn't make it doesn't make the other behavior any less concerning. It doesn't make those stories any less true. And I certainly don't think it's Lucy White's responsibility to tell those stories. Um, and again, none of this. I can't emphasize this enough. I'm not trying to go, you know, <laughs> go and have a go at Lucy White. Not at all. I'm just saying that was the starting point for this you know, this particular thought process. I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. 
Um, and I read those headlines on her Insta page. I was like, oh yeah, they are. They're horrible. They're, they're shitty. I don't like reading them. I don't like having to face that myself and go, what the hell? But again, in the you know, if you think of what I said at the start of the podcast today about my offering here on the clear out is I want to you know throw out an antidote to things that aren't helping us. I want to throw out an antidote to the lack of nuance in in discourse around lots of different issues. But I am I continue to be very interested in men's issues um, and how men are perceived um, in the media, how they're portrayed, what stories get told, and that is about representation. Um, and I, I'm interested in, in, in stories about men who are just getting along, getting along with it, getting on with their lives, having their, you know, their daily wins and, and, and fails and are just trying to, you know, cope with their stuff. Um, and as I've said many times before, I'm very lucky. I have, I know lots of what I would consider good men uh good lads um you know thoughtful considerate uh you know stand up respectable guys who do right by their partners uh do right by their families and have never given me any indication over you know i'm, I'm talking long friendships 20 years 30 years 40 years and i'm not looking at toxic men I'm not looking at toxic masculinity. Um, and those men give me the feeling of confidence that I have, that there are lots of men who are not beating up women, who are not uh, locked into misogynistic thinking, uh, who are not feeling like victims and feel they have to act out or fight back or reassert their masculinity in you know strange ways who are looking after themselves so they can be good husbands partners fathers brothers sons whatever it might be uh, who are coping honestly with their own demons and battles who are seeking help professionally when they need it um and who you know in my own experience in terms of the, the you know the very specific nature of my friendships with these men who will speak very openly and honestly about their fears their vulnerabilities uh their anxieties their concerns um their resentments their their fatigue whatever it might be um and I know those conversations are strengthening. I know they're really useful. Um, and I value, I value those friendships enormously. I value those conversations enormously. Um, and I, I, yeah, that, that's, you know, that's, that's what I'd like to kind of see more of as, kind of as a you know it's kind of like a, a by the way narrative you know by the way that stuff is happening and it's awful but this is also happening um and i think it's part of it's part of sort of balancing the picture and it's part of 
allowing that to be part of the story. And if we go back to the idea of, you know, young people seeing what's out there, I think that's very relevant. I think that's the potential to be very resonant because then they're seeing or hearing or reading or consuming other stories that are going, look at this guy. You know, he's a father of four and he works 50 hours a week and he, you know, has dedicated his life to being, you know, a provider um, and is in a job he doesn't particularly love, but he loves his children and he loves his partner and he's trying to do the right thing by them um, in tough circumstances. And he comes home and plays with his kids or takes them to football or takes them to ballet or whatever it might be. And, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not being particularly articulate in how I'm describing the possible model uh, because I think it's, that can be wide open. There are many ways to contribute normally and functionally as a man to your community, to your, you know, to your, you know, your family. Um, and I think that these stories are neglected or are considered not particularly newsworthy. But see, obviously this is a reflection of my own, my own values and my own personal philosophy and my own my own, my own wellness, um, you know, a key component of my own wellness strategy is to acknowledge the tiniest wins. <laughs> the teeniest, tiniest victories. And I have argued before and I will continue to argue until I have a lobotomy, until I drop down dead. I will continue to argue even getting your ass out of bed in the morning, washing your face and stepping out into the world. That is a victory all of its own. Now that might not resonate with you. You might go, what are you talking about? It's a piece of cake. I mean, great. I'm done, you know, well done you. And you're very lucky if that's the case. For many people, it's not a piece of cake. For many people, it's a slog. It's a grind. It's a monstrous effort. It's a mountain to scale every single day. And I just think if you can get yourself out the door, if you can step up and engage in spite of your burden, and it's not for anybody else to measure your burden and go, ah, listen, that's not really heavy. Everyone has their own stuff. Everyone carries their own shit. And that's their burden, no matter what way you cut it. And it's, it's I mean, this is my issue with some of our kind of, um, you know, some of the extremity extremities of woke politics, woke culture and identity politics. Um, you know, the, 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 the speed with which people rush in to invalidate somebody else's experience I have a real issue with that I'm not in a position to invalidate anyone's experience because I only know my own experience um, and that aspect of 
the kind of the, the you know the, the closed ears of and, and, and in fairness I probably shouldn't you know I shouldn't castigate woke culture and identity politics because it's actually just across the board there's a lot of not listening and there's a lot of um, you know knee-jerk dismissal of, of, of the other with you know going every which way up down left right um, gay straight trans non-trans whatever um, there's a lot of I'm not interested um, I'm only interested in you know in, 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 in my experience and it's incredibly you know combative um, and not particularly nuanced I come back to what I was talking about earlier referring to the higher learning episode you know that there isn't a true exchange because everyone's coming to the table with guns loaded. So this goes back to an episode a few weeks ago um, about dropping our assumptions and dropping our prejudices and not prejudging. Um, And I don't think, I mean, I don't think it's disingenuous to say like everybody's burden is their own, like everyone has their own thing and no one else can really quantify that. Um, I mean, of course, you can contextualize, and you know, when someone like maybe Prince Harry, for example, goes on about his terrible life, and you realize, whoa, he really isn't in touch with nor- the normal experience, which you know, I could have guessed <laughs> being the son of one of the wealthiest royal families in the world. But there'd always be a part of me that would just, on a very human level, go, yeah, but that guy lost his mum in a pretty horrible, you know, in pretty horrible circumstances uh, when he was a little boy. And I'd go, that's a burden, isn't it? Um, and that's about it. I mean, I don't, you know, whatever else, you know, the pressures of being a royal, I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> the pressures of enormous privilege. I'm sorry, I can't I can't really go there. But you know, losing a parent at a young age, devastating. Uh keeping a parent who you know, not losing a parent who's really destructive <laughs> also devastating. Um so you know, you, you have to bring in you have to bring in the context, you have to bring in the nuance. But the starting position, I think if there's any hope of increased understanding, if there's any hope of increased empathy, and increased empathy encourages listening, increased empathy encourages openness, and openness and listening, they kind of calm us down, because we're coming in and going, it's okay, I can handle this, I don't have to be defensive, I don't have to be, in a highly protective position and that's going to drop the heart rate and make us feel calmer straight away now you still may you still may end up going i don't believe a word this other person is saying that's a crock of shit um but at least the starting point you know come in calm don't come in hot you know it usually doesn't you know it usually doesn't have the the you know the desired the desired effect um yeah. So anyway, look, I look I'm probably just going to leave it there today. Um 
I, I do have a little idea, a sort of a side project related to this idea of normal men, real men's stories. Um, now, I don't know, it might be a bit goofy, um, but I think, you know, maybe that's something I should try and do here on the clear out. Maybe I can start doing that on my own um, social media feed um, just to bring you the headlines, real men headlines. Um, I'll give you one right now. Man, man in his 40s moves across country to take care of aging parents. That's a real man headline. Man in his 40s moves across country to take care of aging parents. That's my brother Danny. He did that. He's doing that. That's a real man headline. Okay? That's a story. So there's one guy, an imperfect guy, a flawed guy, like I am, like all of us are, doing what he can, stepping up, stepping into the role. Okay? So how about that? Let's finish with that today. That's a nice that's a nice story. <laughs> Here I'll give you one more. <laughs> Man soon to turn fifty makes raspberry muffins with his daughter and her friend. <laughs> that was my real man headline. That was me last Sunday. I made raspberry muffins with my daughter and her pal. Okay, I did that. <laughs> Nobody got hurt. And there was no, they weren't misogyny muffins. Okay, there was nothing evil in them. Okay, I'm going to leave it there. So um, there you go. We went from uh, black representation to raspberry muffins. It only took an hour. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you giving me your ears. I hope you found something to reflect on, something to be thoughtful about, something to object to and have a discussion about, something that made you laugh. Uh, and hopefully you feel better on the other side of this than you did before you listened. Hopefully it's been a positive experience because that ultimately was the the driving impulse to start this podcast was to put a bit of positivity out there. Uh, and hopefully I've done that. Go safely. And remember, as always, if you enjoy the podcast, throw me some love on social media, all the usual channels. Uh, I'm there. You'll, you'll see the links wherever you're listening to this podcast. But, you know, YouTube, uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You can email me at theclearoutlive at gmail.com if you want to share anything on, you know, there. Uh, otherwise, like, rate, comment, review, share, subscribe. And if you're so motivated that you think, yeah, I want to throw a bit of money behind this independent podcast, you can. You can use the Patreon link. That's patreon.com forward slash the clear out. And I'd be very grateful for anything you can contribute. This does take effort in spite of uh, anything I've said in the past. It does take effort. It's, uh, it's not always easy. It's something I care about. I'm passionate about. I get something out of it. I hope, you know, I want other people to get something out of it as well. Um, but it does come at a cost. <laughs> it comes at a cost in terms of the the uh, the home life balance, the economic balance. 
And so, um, yeah, if you think this is, you know what, that's worth the, the price of a coffee. That's worth the price of a pint, the price of a sandwich. You can make that contribution on a regular basis by subscribing to Patreon and becoming a benefactor of this show, this tell. And genuinely, no messing. Anything you give, I'm like, that is absolutely brilliant. And I would be truly grateful um, because it is. It's a validation. Uh, it's, I find it enormously encouraging. I find your comments on social media enormously encouraging as long as they're positive. That's it. I'm out. It's time to bring my daddy for a haircut. There you go. That's another. <laughs> there's another real man headline. Man takes father for haircut. It goes well, hopefully. I can't tell you that yet. Mind yourselves, travel safe, stay positive, stay thoughtful. And I'll be back next week with something else. All the best. See you. Bye.